just so proud and honored that you're watching the program. And the first thing we want to do is wish all of you the happiest of Thanksgivings. We have so much for which to be grateful. And just living in America is one of the greatest blessings known to us human beings. But surely to be a follower of Jesus Christ is the greatest blessing of all. But we do encourage all of you now to worship with us at the Rainbow Drive Church of Christ, 2201 Rainbow Drive in Gadsden. Our worship hour at Sunday morning. 10.30, our Bible studies at 9.30, and our evening worship powers at 6 o'clock. We do hope and pray that you'll come and be with us and avail yourself of the opportunity to worship with a truly beautiful and wonderful group of people. If you have your Bibles handy now, I want you to open them to 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter. I want us to read the 9th through the 11th verses, and that will be my text for this morning. The Apostle Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul starts out by saying that, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Who are the unrighteous? Well, in Romans, the fifth chapter, the 19th verse, the Apostle Paul says, As by one man's offense, many became sinners. So by the obedience of one man, now hear it, shall many be made righteous. The unrighteous are those who are outside of Jesus Christ. The righteous are those who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. They are those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God have repented of their sins, and have been baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. Those are the people who are righteous, because when in their obedience unto Jesus, Jesus makes them righteous. His blood redeems us, and His blood cleanses us, and through His blood, we become a righteous people. Through one man's uh, obedience, many shall be made righteous. So those outside of Christ are the unrighteous that Paul makes reference to here, very obviously. He said, now be not deceived. The unrighteous are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those outside of Christ are not going to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a whole lot of people deceiving themselves today. A whole lot of people arguing that sin isn't really sin and we're just a victim of our environment or the product of our backgrounds or the way we were brought up and God doesn't hold these things against us. Well, now, let's hear what Paul, under inspiration, has to say about that. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be ye not deceived, for... Fornicators. A fornicator, I believe, in this context is one who has illicit sexual relationships and, and, and is not married. Two people that are unmarried and having sexual relationships, illicit sexual relationships, out of the bounds of marriage and therefore are committed the sin of fornication. Now, Paul says those who do such things are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. says that so plainly. Idolaters, those who are guilty of the sin of idolatry. What is an idolater? An idolater, friends and brethren, is the one who puts anything ahead of Jesus Christ, anything ahead of his relationship with the Lord. In Matthew 6 and 33, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, if a man puts sports ahead of Jesus, then sports becomes his idol. If a man or woman puts politics ahead of Jesus, if we're more interested in converting people to our political views than we are in leading them to Christ, then politics becomes our idol. Whatever takes precedent over Jesus, whatever takes precedent over our relationship with the Lord becomes our idol. Anything that's more important to us than our relationship with Jesus becomes our idol. Now, those who are guilty of idolatry, Apostle Paul says they're not going to enter the kingdom of God, adultery. 
In this context, it makes reference to married people not married to one another having illicit sex, illicit relationships. Paul says that those who commit adultery, those who involve themselves in illicit sex with a married person, with someone that they're not married to, or a fornicator, an unmarried person, again, having illicit sex with someone that he or she is not married to, those type people are simply not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Those people are not going to enter the kingdom of our of God. Those people are not going to be in a saved relationship, are not in a saved relationship with the, with our Lord and our God. Effeminate. The word effeminate there simply makes reference to homosexuals or lesbians. Now, we live at a time in which people are arguing that homosexuality is just simply an alternate lifestyle. We even see uh, homosexual churches and people arguing that this is the way God has made them and since this is the way God has made them, that they're not responsible for how they how they are, and homosexuality is just another lifestyle, the same as heterosexuality, and it's simply a matter of choice. Well, now, friends and brethren, first of all, that's not what Paul taught in our text for this morning. Paul didn't say that homosexuality was an alternate way of life. He didn't say that homosexuality was a normal way of life. He didn't say that that's the way God had made people so they have the right to pursue that lifestyle. He said those who live a life of homosexuality, are not going to enter the kingdom of God. They are not going to go to heaven. Paul did not say, and the Bible does not teach, that one was born a homosexual. One God did not make a person a homosexual, friends and brethren. Sin made him a homosexual. But God did not make a person a homosexual. God didn't create anyone as sinners. God didn't make any of us be sinners. God didn't create us in a manner in which we were automatically sinners. Sin takes over, and sin becomes a part of so many people's lives, and they don't have that sin redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And then they, then through sin, they live these sinful lifestyles. But that isn't the way God made them. I've heard homosexuals. Now, you understand this before I go any farther. Homosexuality is a sin among sins, friends and brethren. I don't look down on the homosexual. The homosexual who flaunts his homosexuality is obviously one who's living a life that is totally contrary to the will of God. But if a person has problems with homosexuality, well, he's got a problem with sin. If he's trying to overcome that problem, he's just like a whole lot of other people in the world that have got a problem with sin and want trying to overcome it. The homosexual is no different than the person who has a problem with adultery. The person has a problem with lying or stealing or cheating. Those are sins that we must work on, sins that we must strive to overcome. And homosexuality is simply a sin among sins. I preached a sermon back at Rainbow Drive a while back from Hebrews 12 and 1 about our besetting weakness. Well, with homosexuals, that's obviously their besetting weakness. And that's where the devil is going to work on them. Now, with me, you know, I just don't have a problem with that. I mean, it's so foreign to my nature that the devil never tempts me along those lines. I just can't. It's repulsive to me. I can't imagine being involved in such actions. But obviously, there are people who do have a problem with that. Now, because they have a problem that I don't, that doesn't mean that I think I'm any better than they are. Because I certainly probably have problems that they don't. That's their besetting weakness. I've got to be setting weakness. You've got to be setting weakness. Everybody's got to be setting weakness. I want to help the homosexual with his besetting weakness or her besetting weakness as I want them to help me with my weakness. So the devil knows where we're the weakest. He knows where we're the most vulnerable. And if people have tendencies along those lines, then obviously that's where he's going to work on it. But people will say, well, as far back as I can remember, I've had these tendencies to towards homosexuality or lesbianism. Therefore, that's the way God made me, and I'm not responsible for the way God made me. Therefore, it's an alternate lifestyle, and it can't be sin. Well, how come we don't apply that reasoning 
to any other walk of life. What if you're talking to somebody who says, you know, as far back as I can remember, I've had these uh, tendencies to be promiscuous. I've had these tendencies to get involved in sexual relationships with a variety of men or women or men who weren't my husband or women who weren't my wife. As far back as I can remember, I've had these urges. I've had these desires to do this. What do you say to them? Well, that's the way it was as far back as you can remember it. That's just the way God has made you. And that's just an alternate lifestyle. You just go out and be promiscuous. You just go out and fulfill those desires that you have as far back as you can remember having those desires. Is that the way we reason? A person comes into you and comes to you and he says, as far back as I can remember, I've had a problem with my temper. As far back as I can remember, I, well, I've been losing my temper. When I was a little boy, if I were a little girl, five or six years old, I'd lose my temper and get into a fight with my little friends. What do you say to them? Well, that's just the way God has made you. If you can, if as far back as you can remember, you've had a problem with your temper, well, then that's just the way God has made you. So you just go out and lose your temper anytime you feel like it. Act in any manner that you feel. Just get upset and angry at anybody anytime you feel like it because that's the way God made you. Is that the way we reason? The person, a kleptomaniac, says, as far back as I can remember, I've had a problem with stealing. Far back as I can remember, I was stealing newspapers out of the newspaper box or magazines from the drugstore. I just had this desire to steal. What do we say? Well, that's just the way God has made you. Nothing wrong with that. Since God has made you that way, since as far back as you can remember, you've had these desires, these tendencies, when you just go out and steal. Is that the way we reason? Obviously not, friends and brethren. Why is it that we reason that way when it comes to homosexuality? We tell the person who says that as far back as he can remember, he's had these desires to, and tendencies to be promiscuous, that promiscuity is wrong. God teaches it's wrong. We tell the person who says as far back as he can remember, he's had these tendencies to lose his temper. We tell him losing your temper is wrong. God teaches that that is wrong. If we say, as far back as I can remember, I've had these tendencies to lie or to do anything along those lines, we tell them, well, now that's wrong. God teaches that that's wrong. You've got to overcome these weaknesses. You've got to overcome these tendencies. You've got to overcome these problems. How come we don't do that with the homosexual? Now, he and she has a problem. But friends and brethren, the problem is sin. It's not a normal lifestyle. It's not something that the Bible sanctions. Romans 1, along with our text for this morning, Paul condemns homosexuality. He says those who participate in that lifestyle are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven, abuses themselves with mankind. A sadist is one who gets personal satisfaction out of seeing someone else suffer. A masochist is one who gets satisfaction out of suffering himself or herself. Friends and brethren, unfortunately, there's a lot of sadists and there's some masochists in the world. Now, the sadist, as I've already pointed out, he gets a certain thrill out of seeing someone else suffer. You ever go out and see somebody's mailbox or your mailbox is smashed in? Somebody smashed it in with a, mail, with a baseball bat? You ever see garbage turned over and thrown out of the garbage, you know, just strewn out on the street by somebody that's come along and done that for what reason? What purpose? other than to fulfill some kind of a perverted uh, tendency that he has to do things like that. The person has a problem with sadism. Uh, that person enjoys seeing someone else suffer. He enjoys seeing someone else inconvenience. When a person smashes in a mailbox or throws over a garbage can, what is there in it for them? I have more respect, friends and brethren, for a thief than I have for somebody who destroys mailboxes or tips over garbage cans. Because at least a thief is trying to get something. At least he's trying to acquire something. person who smashes mailboxes and throws over garbage cans is doing nothing except an act that 
is causing someone else some inconvenience. It can't help the one doing it in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't gain a thing from it except some kind of a perverted satisfaction and knowing that he's hurt somebody else or made somebody else inconvenient. Well, now, if a person has tendencies towards sadism, that's sin, friends and brethren. And he's got to pray to God to have the strength to overcome that particular sin. Masochism, it's a sin to harm this body, this physical body. The body, Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And whosoever defiles the temple, him shall God destroy. So these are sins again that Paul says will keep people from heaven. If, the, if they participate in these sins and continue in these sins. Thieves. We all know what a thief is. Somebody who takes something that doesn't belong to him or her. Somebody who goes out and robs other people. Somebody who just just does things that do things as far as taking things for himself or concerned that we all recognize are wrong. The Bible teaches we're to earn our living by the sweat of our brow. Now, a thief doesn't earn his living by the sweat of the brow. He obviously goes out and takes that which doesn't belong to him. The Bible says a person can't go to heaven with that particular attitude. Can't go to heaven if he lives the life of a thief, if he practices thievery, covetous. Now, there's one that we don't pay too much attention to. You know, most of us who are Christians will say, well, I understand that the fornicator and the idolater and the adulterer and the effeminate and the abusers of themselves of mankind and thieves, I understand that those people are headed for perdition. I understand that those people have got to repent. I understand that those people have got to turn from those sins and change their way of lives. And then we go right out and become covetous and participate in covetousness and seemingly think absolutely nothing of it. Jesus says in Luke 12 and 15 that a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. Now, there's a verse of Scripture that a whole lot of us don't believe. A whole lot of us do not believe that our life does not consist in the abundance of things which we possess. Because a whole lot of us live, live like the only thing that matters is how much we possess and how much wealth we can accumulate, how many material goods we can acquire. That's the only thing that seems to be important to many people. Jesus says in Matthew, the sixth chapter, the nineteenth verse, store not up for yourself treasures on earth for moth and rust that consume and thieves break through and steal. But rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can consume and thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Paul says in 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter, the tenth verse, that the love of money is the root of all evil, in which some will have been coveted after, have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. A whole lot of people, friends and brethren, that have allowed the material things of this world to become so important in their lives, have created such an inordinate desire to acquire the material, have become so obsessed with those things of a monetary nature, that they've forsaken the Lord, forsaken the truth. People will be dishonest in order to acquire Material goods, well, that's seriously jeopardizing your soul's salvation. People will cheat and deceive in order to acquire material goods. The material goods are more important to them than their honor. The material goods are more important to them than the relationship with Jesus. The material goods are more important to them than honesty. The material goods are more important to them than decency. And it doesn't make any difference how much money a person has. That's not the criteria. It's the love of money. A person can make $50 a week and be guilty of the sin of covetousness. Another person can make $50,000 a week and not be guilty of the sin of covetousness. I've seen some of the greatest Christians on the face of this earth who are very successful financially, who have done very well as far as this life is concerned, but they have never put that first, and they use their money to 
to further the cause of Christ, and they support the church fairly, give as they've been prospered. They're just great, great Christians. That they're at every worship service. They're when God when they're doing what God would have them to have them to do. At Rainbow Drive, we've got some very successful people as far as their businesses are concerned, and some professional people, and they're among the strongest and best and finest Christians that we have at Rainbow Drive. So it's one's attitude towards these things that that determines whether he's violating the sin, violating what Paul has said here and committing the sin of covetousness. And when a person is dishonest in order to acquire material goods, when he's dishonest in business, when he conducts himself in a manner that's contrary to what the Bible teaches in order to gain in a material sense, monetarily, that person is guilty of the sin of covetousness. And Paul says, you don't go to heaven if you're guilty of that particular sin, drunkenness. Somebody says, aha, boy. Drunkenness now. We all know that drunkenness will cause one to lose his soul. But Paul doesn't say anything about social drinking. Therefore, it's all right to take a drink or two. Well, let's see if we're consistent with our reasoning on when it comes to drinking. We all recognize and we all agree now that drunkenness will cause one to lose his soul. Did you know that scientists and doctors have proven conclusively beyond a shadow of a doubt that one out of every four people who begin drinking alcoholic beverages, their metabolism is such that they can't control the beverage, that they become alcoholic. They just simply can't overcome their desire for it. Their metabolism is such that when they start drinking, they're going to become an alcoholic. Now, you don't know who the one out of four is, and I don't know who it is. But one out of every four that begin drinking alcoholic beverages become alcoholics. They become drunkards. Now, what if the doctors came out with the news tomorrow and was in our headlines of our newspaper that they have learned how a person contracts the disease of cancer? And that is by drinking Pepsi-Cola. Every cancer patient on the face of this earth is a Pepsi-Cola drinker. Now, this is obviously hypothetical in order to make a point. Every person who's ever had cancer who has cancer today, they have determined, drinks Pepsi-Cola. Now, no one who does not drink Pepsi-Cola has ever contracted the disease of cancer. But now, if you drink Pepsi-Cola... The studies have proven that just one out of four Pepsi-Cola drinkers contract the disease. One out of four Pepsi-Cola drinkers come down with cancer. But if you don't drink Pepsi-Cola, there's no possibility of contracting the disease. But if you drink it, you've still got four to one odds in your favor that you won't contact the disease of cancer. How long do you think Pepsi-Cola would stay in business? Friends and brethren, Pepsi-Cola would go out of business in a week's time. Everyone would quit drinking Pepsi-Cola overnight. Why? Well, because no one would want to take the chance of being that one out of four that's going to come down with the dreaded disease of cancer. Now, the question I ask every person in this audience is, are our souls not as important to us as our physical health? Doesn't the Bible teach that our souls are worth more than all the wealth on the face of this earth combined? What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Well, then how come we don't use the same kind of reasoning when it comes to our soul salvation as we do when it comes to our physical health? Since there is no question that one out of every four people who drink alcoholic beverages become alcoholics or have a problem with the beverage and become drunkards, then it would seem to me that none of us should touch that beverage. Not a one of us. Because we don't know that we might not be the one that would cause us to lose our souls. And by our example, somebody else might drink and might cause them to lose their souls. I've been around alcohol all of my life, friends and brethren. I was drinking alcoholic beverages when I was 12, 13 years old. Going into bar rooms when I was 17 years of age with a Ford's birth certificate. I've been around people who drink all of my life. My father was...
just about an alcoholic. My grand, my uh, father-in-law was an alcoholic. My grandfather was an alcoholic. Two of my uncles, I know what it does to people. And of all the people I've known who drink alcoholic beverages, and I've known literally hundreds before I became a Christian, just about everybody I knew drank alcohol. The only ones I did who didn't drink alcohol that I knew before becoming a Christian were ones that would make them so sick they just didn't want to drink it for that reason. But I didn't know anybody, as far as the people I ran around with, that was opposed to drinking alcohol, and just about everybody I knew drank alcohol. But you know, I've never known of one single solitary person that's been a better person because of the drinking of alcohol. I've never known of a father to be a better father because he drank alcohol. Never known of a husband to be a better husband because he drank alcohol. Never known of a wife to be a better wife because she drank alcohol. Never known of a mother to be a better mother because she drank alcohol. Never knew of a Christian to be a better Christian or a person who at least claimed to be a Christian to have a closer relationship with God because he drank alcohol or she drank alcohol. Never have known anyone that was more spiritual because they drank alcohol in a more prayerful frame of mind because they drank alcohol. But I've seen people do things under the influence of alcoholic beverages that they couldn't even consider doing if they hadn't been drinking. I've done things under the influence of alcoholic beverages that I couldn't consider doing if I hadn't been drinking. I know what it does to people. I know the harm it brings into people's lives. Just the very fact that something like 25,000 innocent people are killed every year out in the highways because of somebody driving under the influence of alcohol ought to tell every right-thinking person that that has no place in the Christian religion. I sometimes wonder if it has any place in society. We talk about drugs and the great efforts we're making to overcome the drug problem. Well, we've got another drug problem that we're glamorizing and advertising and encouraging people to get involved in. And that's a drug, the drug of alcohol, friends and brethren, a depressant that has destroyed the lives of literally millions and millions of people in eternity and only eternity will reveal how many people lose their souls to the drinking of alcoholic beverages. So Paul says drunkenness. Those who, those who live that lifestyle, pursue that lifestyle, are just simply not going to get to heaven. Revilers. A reviler is one who's always telling somebody off. Have you ever seen anybody like that? Always telling somebody off. They don't know how to approach a person with the right attitude and talk with the right spirit. They've always got to approach a person with this antagonistic attitude. Always ready to put somebody in their place. Always ready to straighten somebody out. Go into a supermarket and have a little bit of a disagreement over who was in line first and the revilers telling everybody off. Go into a restaurant and the waitress makes a little mistake and the reviler tells the waitress off. A reviler is one that's always telling somebody off out on the highway and somebody makes a, some kind of a mistake or the reviler thinks a mistake and he starts waving his fist at the person and starts uttering profanities and starts chewing that person out. That's a reviler. Paul says those type people are not going to enter the kingdom of God. Those type people are just simply not going to get to heaven. Extortionists. An extortionist is more of a white-collar criminal. You know, he diverts funds. He takes funds, things that don't belong to him and use it for himself. These here television evangelists that have been using all of this money and all these trials that you're reading about and have been sentenced to prison. They're extortioners. They tell their people that they're going to use this money for a particular purpose when they're using it on themselves. They're not honest with their people, so they've been guilty of extortion. You know, I've read a number of letters to the editor saying that the crime doesn't weigh, the penalty outweighs the seriousness of the crime. These men that have been convicted and now serving and just get out in 10 years with good behavior, they say, why should they be punished that long? Their crime isn't that serious. Well, now, friends and brethren, I don't understand that. 
Is it not a serious crime to take money from poor people and people on fixed incomes and people who have a difficult time paying their bills under false pretenses? I'm going to tell you what, as far as I'm concerned, the penalty wasn't harsh enough. Just wasn't harsh enough. I'd like to deal more with extortion, but now we've just about run out of time. We only have four minutes, so I've got to get into the good news of this particular lesson. And here comes the good news. Isn't it great, friends and brethren, that we could preach a sermon that's so negative up to this point, but then conclude it with the good news? But now, Paul says, such were some of you. Paul says, here at Corinth, you have people that were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. But now that such were some of you. But now you've changed. You've turned from that. Paul said that these people could not only could turn from that lifestyle, but did turn from those lifestyles. Turn from that horrible type of living. Turn from that sin. And you've been washed. You've been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins. Not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3 and 5. The washing of regeneration there making reference to baptism. Baptism. Seeing that he has sanctified the church with the washing of water, Ephesians 5 and 25, again, making reference to baptism. Since you've turned from this lifestyle and you've been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins, you've been sanctified. You've been set apart for the service of your Lord. You've been justified. There, friends and brethren, as far as I'm concerned, is the most beautiful word in all of language. The word justified. It means that you are now totally innocent. The price has been paid for your sin. And you stand before God just as if you had never committed those sins. All of these people that he made reference to, all of these fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and effeminate and abusers of themselves of mankind, and those thieves and those covetous people and those drunkards and those revilers and those extortioners, Paul says you've been justified. When you rendered obedience unto your Lord in baptism, you became a sanctified people. He added you to the church. Now the blood of Jesus has cleansed you. The blood of Jesus has redeemed you. We are redeemed not by corruptible things such as silver and gold, which you receive from the vain conversation or traditions of your fathers, but by the precious blood of Jesus, the Lamb without blemish and the Lamb without spot. First Peter, the first chapter, the 18th verse. You become a justified people because Jesus died in your stead, because Jesus went to the cross in your place, because Jesus paid the price for your sins. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness and remember your iniquities no more. That's the meaning of being justified, friends and brethren. It's just as if they had never committed those sins. When they obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ as they repented of those sins, they were washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Now, you people out there that are saying, I'm just not good enough to be a Christian. Are you any worse than those people at Corinth were? Any worse than the sinners that we've enumerated in this lesson? They went as low as you can go in this world as far as sin is concerned. And the Lord redeemed them. The Lord forgave them when they repented and were baptized. He'll redeem you. He'll forgive you. It doesn't make any difference how deep into sin you have gone. If you confess Jesus as your Savior, repent of your sins, and obey the precious gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll appropriate the blood of Jesus to your life, and you'll be totally and completely redeemed. You'll stand before God, justified. Just as those brethren at Corinth stood before, stood, will stand before God, justified. 
because they obeyed the gospel of Christ and appropriated the precious, all-encompassing, redeeming blood of Jesus to their lives. Do that, friends, every one of you this morning. Thank you so much for watching the program, and God bless all.